You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon, fueled by Guardian Games and Athletic Field Design. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your host, Ben and Dave. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Stop now. Just stop. You're done. You're done. Okay. I am. Okay. Oh, dang. Why? Why? Dave? Because you're done. Now we're done with that. We need to get on with this show. That's why. Yeah. Oh, man, Dave. You know, I'm so sad that you're making me get on with the show. Well, what do we got going on? We got something great today. All right. As always, we're talking baseball. And uh, I know you always say that we got a special episode, but this one is just an excellent episode coming for you. Yeah, considering everything that uh, everything we, we started with in August and kind of the direction and and uh, points we've been traveling across and uh, discovering, I'm excited. I'm really excited for today. Yeah, me too. Um, this is going to be a great episode. Yeah. And next episode too. So, uh, but anyways, I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And I'm Mike. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the Diamonds and Roses podcast. podcast. All right. So special episode as always. Um, it's we're, great to be alive. It's a great day to be in baseball heaven. We're, we're in a new studio after being kicked out of about five of them. Yes. It's, it's like <laughs> David's trips to the bar. Yeah. He gets kicked out. <laughs> hey, this is a family show. What are you talking about? <laughs> Your wife listens. She knows. I know. I know. Anyways, um, without further ado, we have a great guest on today and next week, and I'd like to have our guest introduce himself. Mike Barrett. Mike Barrett. And Mike, can you tell us where you were from? Portland Diamond Project, or are you talking about hometown? Uh, well, no, the Portland Diamond Project. Yeah. Portland Diamond Project, yeah. previously Portland Trailblazers, previously KXL Radio, Oregon Ducks Radio Network, Oregon State University, West Albany High School. Excellent. North Albany Middle School, Fairmount Grade School. Anything else? <laughs> I went all the way back there on you. We did go all Ma the way back. Mike hasn't been very busy lately at all, so. No, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike is not crunch for time at all. Well, here we are. Here we are. We're here. We're uh, talking Portland Diamond Project, but um, we're also talking about Mr. Mike Barrett, too. And we're going to talk about uh, some of his history, because uh, I really like to dive into our history of our guests. And, and, and their, their kind of connection to baseball from mm -hmm. the from the earliest memories, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Cool. We're really looking forward to that. And I really appreciate Mike coming on the show. Um, we really uh, just been enthusiastic about what the Diamond Project has going on. As you can tell, we're really, really big supporters mm -hmm. of Major League Baseball to Portland. 
let's go get we this appreciate make it happen. That. and this yeah. is one of the guys that's going to help make that happen along with a bunch of other fantastic individuals uh, that has been affiliated with this diamond project so um without further ado let's jump right on in this episode and uh, so let's talk about you mike talks about some early times uh, you were born in idaho is that yeah correct? i was i was yeah. born in idaho my dad was a basketball coach and so we jumped around a couple little towns i was born in emmett we were mm-hmm. living at the time in New Plymouth, and then we moved to Caldwell, where he was a basketball coach, and then he got a job uh, at West Albany High School. So we packed up and moved away from most of our family and settled in Albany, and he was the head basketball coach at West Albany for, gosh, 18 years maybe, and then went and coached uh, a few years of junior college ball at Lynn Benton. Okay. Um and then, yeah, so that's that's where I grew up, and I didn't go very far to go away to school. As I mentioned, I went to Oregon State. So, go Beefs. So yeah, and you know, it's funny having a dad as a baseball or a basketball coach. I, I played basketball, and I was decent at it, pretty good, um, but was much better at baseball. That was going to be my oh, yeah? sport. So hmm. I was always a baseball kid growing when, up. When did you realize you were much better at baseball? You know, I don't know. Um, being, you know, I was a taller kid, a little bit lanky at the time, but I was left-handed. Okay. And I hit right-handed, which always frustrated That's my dad. He was trying to make me a switch here. Interesting, I could yeah. not hit from the left side. Hmm. I don't know if that has to do with being, I, I think, and I was a kicker in football, so I think it has to do with being right-footed, because I was right-footed, left-handed. That's strange. And then as I got into college and was kicking and messing around, I started kicking left-footed, and it felt better. Wow. And I actually kind of changed. It's very strange. But anyway, long story short, I was a pitcher. And a left-handed pitcher, and I could throw hard. So yeah. if you have those things, you'd likely you're not going to have to pay for college. Yeah, and, well, and <laughs> lefty so, with velocity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, you know, but then along those same lines, that's also what kind of ended my career before it really got going. I played a year at, at Lynn Benton. Okay, had a great year. Went to Oregon State, gunned up, ready to play, and all of a sudden lost all of my velocity. Really, and you know, they termed it then dead arm, and I think now it probably would be. Because you had you never iced and you had no and overthrew. supervision and you overthrew and yeah. threw way too much because you'd you know I remember my senior year in high that school. was coaching back then yeah. right well we had yeah. a bunch of rainouts my senior year in high school and I was we were a playoff team mm-hmm. so I threw all the time I threw complete games every time like <sighs> Monday Wednesday Friday yeah. and then I went right into American Legion ball and played whatever 60, 70 games. Went to the State Metro High School All-Star Game, pitched there, and for the first time, I got ice on my arm. So I went in in relief in Game 1 in the Dallas, where the State Metro All-Star Game still is. Came in relief, and I got the win in Game 1, and I came to the dugout, and I think it was a trainer from Tigard. No, it wasn't Tigard. Maybe it was. Put this bag on my arm, my shoulder, and I said, what are you doing? He said, said, you ice every time after you throw, right? And I said, no, I've never done this before. So then, you know, it was it was the next year I started off in junior college, had some great games. Um, and then all of a sudden was just went on to Oregon State, ready to roll and just had I just lost, you know, and back then I was probably as we all were um, kind of wish I had the maturity I have now in yeah. terms of not trying to strike everyone out with a right, fastball, right. which is I got away with in high school. Um, but then when you start to lose your velocity. And I had some other pitches, nothing to fall back on. And so then I realized that um, this isn't going to work. And so they were taking looks at my shoulder. And, you know, it's crazy. It's been so many years. I'm 50 now. 
And the crazy part is when I lift my left arm, it pops and snaps. And, and a lot Ooh. of times my wife will hear it, even just laying in bed at night. Huh. All those, that many years ago, it, it, the, the, <laughs> my, my left shoulder is just massive amounts of scar tissue. So anyway, that's my short-lived baseball career huh. and story. But I was always not just better at it, but always um, gravitated. And I watched a lot of sports on TV as a kid, mm. all that we had back then. But... Um, Definitely probably got more fired up to watch baseball than anything else. And back then it was, you know, this week in baseball with Mel Allen and yeah. you got to see uh, the game of the week. You know, Vince Scully and Joe Garagiola would do the game of the week. And that's really all we had. It was before you even really had highlight shows. So you could get it wasn't like living in the Midwest where you hear guys tell stories of hearing all these games at mm-hmm. night on all the, the famous KMOX, KW, you know, WG and all these radio stations in the Midwest that floated up right. and down. We didn't have that. But I did watch every bit that I could see and and loved it as a sport always yeah uh you said in an interview uh that when you were younger with your dad um coaching basketball that your mom would drop you off at the uh afternoon practice and he said that was like your babysitter yeah you're like yeah. there with your dad uh, uh-huh. just kind of like talk a little bit about that like what you know being around with your dad and watching him teach the game of basketball to these other people like what was that experience like for you well you know that's funny because it is true and I haven't thought about that in a long time but it was um you know dad had practice every night and he coached basketball he coached golf for a time Mm. he was involved in some track for a time so he would get up and be gone at seven and not home until 7 30 or 8 which is the life of a lot of teachers um and coaches you know these guys that do all this stuff and don't make high school wrestling exactly yeah Yeah. and and it's just you just your time is you know when you dive into that it's your lifestyle and so i would tend to get dropped off on a lot of nights at the high school as a kid and then i would be shooting on the side baskets Unless he was talking, of course, you don't dribble the ball. Oh, yeah. I learned that a lot of times. But um, yeah, I just hung out a lot of time in that gym. I actually went down to that gym a few years ago when I was with the Blazers. We had a um, the Rip City Relay, they called it, oh. went around the state. And we went to Albany and had one. And we went to West Albany and we shot some video there. And I hadn't been back in the gym forever. And it felt really weird because that was like... Uh, where I grew up, not just in terms of where I played, but where as a kid I spent so much time and flood of nostalgia and just yeah, that would be interesting. yeah. And my dad would you know at times on the weekends, um, even when I was in you know early on in high school, it just I would just take his master key and go down and open the door and just shoot hoops all day long. You know, it'd be raining outside, right. and go down and shoot baskets in the afternoon, and there weren't video games, and there well there were, but it was Atari and it was yeah. awful. Um, there you know, so I just didn't have a whole lot else going on. So I spent a ton of time in that gym and around athletics because we were, you know, my dad was so entrenched in that. So it was honestly looking back and I'm kind of doing it now, which is funny, but, um, great way to grow up. Yeah. I mean, it was, you don't know it at the time. No, you don't. Reflecting. Oh, sure. You don't. And what an excellent job he did. And he was such a well-respected coach. And I, and I love the fact that when, you know, cause Rick Adelman was at Chemeketa uh, and my dad got to know Rick when Jack Ramsey was the Blazers coach. So every time I would see Rick, 
um, when I was doing Blazer games for all those years, if Rick was the coach in Sacramento or Golden State or Houston, he would always come over and ask about my dad. And he always had such great things to say. And guys like Dwight James, Kerry Eggers, they covered my dad and yeah. my, my dad's teams. Um, so it's very cool. I mean, I stayed local. I mean, I grew up an hour and whatever, an hour and a half away. But those are the neat parts of staying around yeah. home is there's so many guys that know of guys you knew be it your dad or friends or stars you played against so small world yeah and and really cool though small town you know and i i i am in the portland area but i'm not in urban portland i'm grew up in a smaller town and the town i was born in in idaho was 3000 mm-hmm. so i always have tended to like a little smaller yeah rural type setting yeah i'm from aurora i can yeah i can, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. what are some takeaways that you had watching your dad coach like that you were able to carry on into your career whether it be playing basketball for him or playing baseball what were some things that you saw as a coach for that he kind of taught you probably the biggest thing i think is communication you know i mean that's and i always say this and i tell my kids this too if you can communicate you know, you can do about anything and not everybody yeah. can. That sounds like a funny thing. No, they can't. Yeah. But yeah. watching the way he could communicate with his players. And I was always um, a lot of times as the ball boy on his teams, you know, I was always in the locker room and heard his talks at halftime, his talks at pregame and instruction. And he wasn't a terribly fiery coach, but could could get that way on occasion. And I watched him dress down a couple players, you know, at different times. And, and you know, and, and so he was... He was dad then, but he was also a little bit scary at times with the, with you know when I when I see him get very intense and and want to win, which which you know obviously he he should, but it was it was very interesting and I um, again I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, so this is all good stuff because I'm kind of going back in the back of the brain and we talked with Jerry Gatto about uh, the evolution of of sports coaching with high school level players and how it became a little bit more independent psychology and that not every kid is motivated the same that kind of transition sounds like your dad might have been kind of in that part of that wave where you're starting to understand uh, individuals a little bit more and mm-hmm. timing and and just being a little more I say mentally strategic with coaching well and de- and definitely because he was a John Wooden disciple so there you go. so in his office was the wooden pyramid of success which I don't know if you guys know yep. if you've seen the wooden pyramid of success but he you know that was framed in his classroom so very cerebral look at mm-hmm. you know it's almost because Wooden was spiritual in the way he approached things right. he was a spiritual man anyway but definitely the way he approached coaching he understood um, individuals yeah, yeah absolutely and that you don't you know I think my dad was that way he he could be a firm coach but at the same time he um, you kind of and this is what I try to do too in life is you try to meet people kind of where they're at yeah some coaches are like it's my way or the highway yeah. and there's no time for debate or discussion but I just don't know how well that works with yeah. everybody so I think that he got a lot out of his guys because of mm-hmm. that he could reach a lot of people because of that yeah which was terrific and it, which is you know funny now that you come it almost comes full circle and people always ask me what I was and we'll, we'll get to this obviously but what I was most proud about as a NBA broadcaster for so many years and it was that it was the ability I think to say things that were meaningful and understandable to a 10-year-old and to a 90-year-old at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you discern? How do you judge and discriminate the words broad that come out audience, of your mouth? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, maybe that's where I got some of that. I really hadn't thought of that. But watching him reach different guys and, and, and say the right things. And he had a limited economy with words the way he would address things. I, I tend to say too much probably, but... Um, 
was very selective in, in how he approached things. And uh, I learned a lot from that. Hmm. Fortunate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw some of the video of you going back to your old high school and walking in. And oh, yeah. That's... One of the things that I remember. Where'd watch... you find that? <laughs> this guy. I, I don't know. Guys. I just. This yeah, man. Guy. I, I haven't even seen this that. guy. So I, I saw in you were. Um, Stalker you... moment, by the way. <laughs> no, I love joking. it. No, it's great. No, it's, <laughs> it was great because it, it kind of gave me a little bit of a background like on you because you had walked in and as you walk in there's the the hall of fame wall Mm -hmm. and i know we're jumping ahead a little bit in in kind of like my notation here but you had the hall of fame wall and you were looking at it and there was you and your dad and you're both and and i'm just going to jump into this part you both were inducted at the same time Mm -hmm. and i I just could was thinking to myself um when i saw this video and just seeing the big smile on your face and just kind of that look that you had and, and you could tell how much that meant to you mm-hmm. at that moment. But I want to hear from you kind of like, what did it mean to you to like, you know, walk in, in that, that the room and see that wall and then just see you and your dad on that wall and just knowing that the both of you were inducted in the hall of fame. Is, um, you know, it was really cool because I mean, first of all, it's a high school hall of fame, but to be in any hall of fame is, is really cool. Yep. Um, and then to go in, you know, on the same night as the, that my dad went in was really, really cool. And so, and, and really I hadn't, that video you saw, you know, if we, if we weren't trying to make it look like I had seen that. I hadn't seen that <laughs> like that. I, I, I have a plaque and I was there that night and I knew they hung it somewhere and on Twitter once in a while, a student down there will take a shot and he would tag me in it and I would see it. But I, that was the first time I really saw it and kind of thought that was, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, you know, it's a big deal. It's, it's, you know, a town of 50,000 now or whatever yeah. it is and um, a couple of high schools. But in so much time, I'd spent so much time in that hallway and looking at different athletes and, you know, guys that go on to success, be it they go, you know, wherever they go to play college football, basketball, whatever, and, and girls as well. And to see their pictures. And I was always, I could, I just, I knew that whole trophy case by heart in that hallway because I'd spent so much mm-hmm. time in that hallway. So to be a small part of that. Yeah. That, that's, that's a, it was a big deal to me and it was a b- really big deal to my dad. And I think very special to him that we're both in that now. It's part of that small town. Yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. the totally. Americana right there. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I know cool. going to small towns and, you know, yeah. being, a, I mean, like, awesome. my graduating class was like 70 people. Yeah, so I too. know, <laughs> I know what it means to be small town and that, you know, that it got me excited to see and hear and like watch the excitement and just see you walk looking at that wall and everybody else. I thought that was pretty a memorable moment. I'm going to have you. to find out where you saw the video when we're done here tonight, because I want I need to I need to see that. I haven't seen that in I think I saw it once. I think it aired at halftime of a game or something hmm. at one point. But very cool. interesting. Yeah, I'll have to it's amazing it. that you found it. I haven't seen anything like that. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your West Albany High School days. You played mm-hmm. under Tom Hawkins. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, Baseball, you were yeah. you were an all state pitcher, mm-hmm. and it, you said in the video at one point that you, that's the only thing you kind of had in your mind was playing baseball. And yeah. um, you, you know, we talked about this before. You wore the number twenty two yeah. in basketball and in baseball. Yeah. And I asked this like on the phone. I'm like, was there some sort of meaning behind the number twenty two, or is it just just kind of came to you? There, there isn't. I mean, I don't know why I always liked the number, and and there is there wasn't I didn't have a a, a, a player that I although I love that Clayton Kershaw now wears twenty two, yeah. but but um no I I don't know why I don't know why that was always superstitious my enough to have it in both for both though yeah maybe and there wasn't consistent. even really a huge no. reason why and you ask some guys you know why they wear certain numbers they have a long story I don't other than the fact that I just 
I just liked the number and it's still, you know, it's still part of my email address. It's still part of how crazy That's cool. is that, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, our, our, it, it, when we got our first, you can home, take the boy out of Albany, right? Right. And we got our first yeah. home phone number, you know, in Tualatin, the last two digits were 22, our, our, our old house, our first house here, the last two was 22. It's kind of a crazy thing. That is cool. I don't know why, but that was always my number. <laughs> it's not it a great backstory, but it, it, for whatever reason, it's significant. Yeah, and you played um, American Legion ball for three years uh, yeah, I did. while you were there. You went, uh, my understanding is you went 11 and 2 as a senior, mm-hmm. uh, and you struck out 92. You pitched 75 and two thirds innings. Look at you pulling stats up. Yeah, you had yeah, a 2.12 ERA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you In high school, all, that's not yeah. that great, but yeah. But it no, was pretty good. It's good, yeah. All Valley League, all state first team pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, state Metro All-State Series, you pitched and won the opening game. Mm-hmm. So clearly, I mean, you 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 were good at what you did. Um, what would you say was your best pitch? Fastball. Like fastball. But I had a I had a drop down. You know, it's now they'd call it a slur if it's a slider curve that okay. I, I could drop down a little bit. It's probably but not like a, a standard twelve six. It was more of a slider. no. I had a twelve six. Did I didn't you really? Throw, yeah, I didn't no. throw it as much because I didn't have as good a control of it. Okay, but to a lefty. I drop down and throw the sidearm. I oh, could get cool. that. I could bend. Were a lot of people doing that back then? Back to really? his reach. Yeah. Really? No. No one was doing that. That was a pretty good it. out pitch, and I would throw that with huh. two strikes now and then. Which, oh wow, you know, back in you know when you're in high school and really, not these days in college. Maybe then, um, you know, if if you're three one count three zero, nobody's going to throw a curveball. No. But the fact that I could do that and and depended on that pitch and could throw right. it. It's and strike, in fact, yeah. a couple of the games that. You know, you think back, you think of glory days in high school. But when I think back to, you know, Corvallis was such a powerhouse back then, and they were ranked number one. And I beat them twice. I beat them my junior year when they were ranked fourth and my senior year when they were ranked number one. Cool. And in in both of those games, oddly enough, I did not, for whatever reason, have good velocity, and I beat them with junk. And it's just strange because it was so not me. But in those two games, they stand out to me probably more than any other games Mm -hmm. because – I threw that pitch a ton of yeah. times, and again, it's probably why my shoulder looks like Swiss cheese now. But did you just come upon you know dropping down like that around with it or something? Yeah, just screwing around with it. That's cool. Around. Yeah, Were you just, skipping rocks or something. Yeah. Just yeah, whatever. yeah, probably. Yeah. But I knew I could get it to spin more that way, and it probably was you know you back then you couldn't throw a curveball until you, and I'm sure it's still the same same way now. You can't throw it until you're a certain age. But I was always messing with curveballs to see if I can get them to spin. And you did it enough to create muscle memory to be able to throw that for a strike consistently. Yeah, yeah. you huh. know, and I wish I had. Huh. No, guys back then, you know, some some people had video. I, I don't have really much of that kind of stuff. But um, I wish I could go back and see some of that stuff because it's just, been, you know, it's been so long. And, I, and I've and i even thought, I've got some friends who, you know, and my son is not playing baseball, which is fine. And he's 13, but I've. I would love to go throw BP or something at some point. Again, I know my shoulder would probably fall apart, probably just fall off my body because it makes so much noise. But um, <laughs> just to do it, what again? Oh yeah, throw, throw try left here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the crazy part is too, I threw a four fingered knuckle. Oh really? Very rarely, but what? I could throw it as a change up, and I could get that thing to move. And I don't know why. You're I kidding throw me. It more. I can. I can still throw it. Huh. We well, always messing around. Last summer, a neighbor was over here, and he played baseball at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And we were talking. You know, wives were having a glass of wine, and we're having a beer. And and he's left handed, and he's a big backyard. And we're talking, and finally he said, "We were talking about our baseball." I said, "Let's play catch." And it's amazing to me how long it had been since I had just played catch. Like good, quick catch, hard catch with a guy who knew what he was doing. So we sat out there 
and drank a few beers and played catch for an hour and a half and had a blast. That's awesome. Throwing the ball back and forth, throwing knuckles, throwing curves, screwing around. All the stuff you got in trouble for in warm-ups at practice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, in middle school and high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you doing? And they warm up now in different ways because I watched... You know, because I've gotten to know Pat Casey over the years. Uh, his son, John, is uh, used to come up to Blazer games, and that's when I got to know Coach. This is back before they were winning national championships mm-hmm. and then after. Um, but I talked to him about how they warm up pitchers now versus how they did it then. And, yeah. You know, back then it was start short, and then you're throwing, you know, 50, 75-yard arcing mm-hmm. to try to stretch your arm out. Now they don't do that anymore, hmm. at least from what I've seen. But it's interesting how the evolution of – Training and warming up has has changed, yeah. and I probably still <laughs> still would have an arm if that yeah. were the case back then. I feel like it's more speed pitch now, like yeah. hurrying yeah. up, trying to get it, you know, that get the player in. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just tonight I was at my son's Bambino practice, and we were you know throwing around some of the dads, and I was like, one of the kids was at first base, and they're like, throw it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, and it okay. hit off the kid's glove. And oh, oh yeah. Uh, Every, well, everybody it, loves a knuckleball though, but it felt great. Well, and and, and that's it. when I throw. Across a field, like screwing mm-hmm. around, I'll have a big tail on the ball if I drop down a little bit. Yeah. And we were playing in a, when I was at KXL Radio, we were playing in a media league, and I was playing like third base, left-handed third baseman, go figure. Yeah, but, there you but, go. But, but who cares? And I, the, fir- the first baseman, I didn't know how athletic he was, and, and I think he was decently athletic, but I ripped a ball over there, and it it tailed and hit him right smack in the mouth. Oh, right around his glove, you know, and I didn't mean to do it. And, but I, I, but when I dropped down like that, the ball naturally, tails, that muscle it memory, softball, yeah. but it cracked him right. In the oh. And he bled and I felt terrible. Why yeah. do I, now you got my mind going back and digging up all kinds of, weird that's things. kind of, kind of what we do. Yeah. Well, it's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you were in high school. Did you get recruited to play college baseball at all? A little bit. A little bit. What? I had an offer from Nevada, um, and I had letters from Oregon State for a while my senior year, and then I got one at the end that said, you know, we don't, for a lot of different reasons, and it was different back then, we don't have any scholarships left, um, but we'd like you to come. Uh, walk preferred on. walk on is what they would call yeah. it now. Yeah. And and instead I went to Lynn Benton because it was and still is a phenomenal program mm-hmm. and was a feeder system at that point for the most part to a lot of different programs, but to Oregon State. And Coach Greg Hawk, who was down there for a long time, um, you know, I got I, I didn't have to pay tuition there. I got I got you know, able to play there. And I started out which was great. And mm-hmm. and my, my plan was to play there for a year or two and go on to Oregon State. And I started off my career there. We went down to California in the spring, which most teams from up here do. I had a no-hitter until the ninth, lost it, ended up throwing a one-hitter, came home, had a league game, threw a one-hitter again, had a no-hitter to the ninth again, and lost it. Oh. Pop-up to the second baseman. And then it, everything was great, playing pretty well, and toward middle part of the season, all of a sudden... I, I did not I, my fastball I had lost all my speed like on it seven eight miles an hour yeah and then I and then I went ahead and finished and I was okay and then I went on to, to Oregon State and was is starting in the fall over there and and just kind of messing around it was popping and cracking Ooh. and I never never made it at, yeah. and so then I went to work for the well the good part of the story is which also comes into play I went to work for the athletic department then, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, when you come and you're kind of recruited to play, they end up putting you in the athletic department somewhere. I ended up working in media relations, which is called the sports information department. Mm-hmm. And I, and that was, I had no idea 
really what I was going to do in life. And that, that put me on the track to everything that I've done since that one move glass half full. Yeah. And you can, and everybody can look back at a why in the road. Mm -hmm. And that was mine for, Mm -hmm. for at least for that time was finding that. And I was there the exact years that Gary Payton was there. And you know, that was a, a great, I was at that SC game where he scored 58. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. And and, yeah. and then is you know there were so many good games that year. The the Loyola Marymount game there when mm-hmm. he and Bo Kimball both were playing just oh, playing horse nuts. basically during the game. And so it was a good time to be there. And you know later in life I would see Gary again. I didn't know him real well in college, but I knew him enough to where he knew who I was. Um, but it's kind of weird. But it, it, working there and writing press releases and getting to know the media. And then even broadcasting games um, with KBVR, you know, the TV station. I, I've got VSE. You haven't seen those videos. I got videos no. of me broadcasting high school football games. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. College. Yeah, you. Well, you hosted the not necessary sports. Not necessarily sports. It not was a Roy Firestone yes. knockoff. Oh, okay, yeah. I was gonna say a little spinoff. Yeah, no yeah. copyright. You're fine. Yeah. No, no. But it was yeah. it was fun. We had a blast and. Um, so were you majoring in broadcast journalism? No, I was, then? I was just in journalism. Journalism, yeah. Okay. The broadcast stuff kind of came. I just started getting asked, "Hey, okay. you want to broadcast?" So I ended up doing some Oregon State baseball okay. games on the radio on the campus station before they were doing baseball games. True. You know, they weren't on the regular radio then, um, and then did some TV games too, um, but mostly just high school stuff then. But then I graduated and came up here for no real reason and just thought I had some buddies at the Oregon State golf team who I won in particular I was living with and we came up here and he was going to try and make the PGA tour ended up going to South Africa and trying to get on the tour and I ended up kind of and then a buddy of mine from school who was in broadcasting then and was at channel six said hey there's out in Hillsboro they they need somebody to call some high school basketball games and they'll pay like 40 bucks a game I said, well, sure, I'll do that. Yeah. So I went out and did that, drove the van, set up my own little Marty, which is back then was the Marty was the way you got the signal back to the radio station, huh. which is from the van, which you had to stick a big antenna in the air. Yeah, yeah. old it's school. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and so did that. And then not that much, uh, not that far into that, a couple months into that, KXL Radio had their sports director's job come open. Rick Metzger, who was then at Channel 6 and... He would do the sports on the side, but KXL decided we want our own guy, our own sports guy, and they weren't paying very much. So they went for somebody younger, and I was fortunate enough, I think at 23, to get that job. And I was there for about eight years. So anyway, that was... Honing your craft. and Yeah, yeah I started going down a road that you probably mm-hmm. weren't ready yet, but that was just kind of the natural tale from college to why I ended up up here. Do you, is there any like moment when you're calling some of the high school basketball games that you remember kind of to this day that stands out to you, or... Or it's just kind of like one from another. No, probably not much. I, I could I could sit here and I remember a guy threw down a dunk one time that shocked me. I was doing a playoff game at Tigard High School and mm-hmm. I can't remember the other team. And I thought, man, this is not my high school <laughs> high school experience. Yeah, he just dropped down the middle and just packed it with like just a rare back with a hammer dunk and you know, crowd was kinda like Golf clap, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Our, <laughs> our, our high school gym would have fallen over if somebody would have dunked like that. <laughs> it's crazy, but it was no, it was um, it's a good training ground. Um, and then when the job came open at KXL, you know, they wanted a tape. You have to come up with a resume tape, mm-hmm. and I really didn't have one. Are we talking about cassette tape? Or are we talking about a VHS? Oh, no, no, tape? cassette tape. Cassette tape. Okay. Oh yeah, the right. mixtape. And I had <laughs> to put, tape. but I had to put together a tape of me reading sports news, which is what I would end up doing at KXL. Um, and I really didn't, 
I didn't have one, so I just made up one, you know, just read the paper and, and basically, and then they just, I remember went down for my interview, the guy named Dennis Kelly, and he just, I think I went to one interview, then I went to another one, and they just put me on the air and did afternoon sports. Hey, you got two minutes, do your sports twice That's an cool. hour. And I did it, and then they offered me the job, which shocked me because I thought to myself, I don't deserve this. I have not. And I remember telling some other guys that I had known, older, who were currently established media guys uh, in the Portland area, and they thought I was kidding. They said, you, you were just in college. And I said, I know. I don't know. I just got hired. And then it was all. It was in the spring, and, they, and the Blazers were in the playoffs, and my first gig and really first time to do anything like this, I went and they sent me to Chicago because the Blazers were in the finals against the Bulls in '92. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, oh, Jordan. Is this the time we got Jordan's autograph? I did get Jordan's autograph. That's we cool. still have it. Actually, yeah, that's cool. It's completely unethical. I mean, you don't get autographs when you're back in the media area. Yeah, you're young. Yeah, but you're... I was sitting. It was in Chicago, and they had won the championship. This is after Game Six, which the Blazers had a huge lead in. Jerome Kersey played a phenomenal game, mm-hmm. and. I'm in the back of the press room because I'm just the kid and I don't know any, you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And and everybody's looking out the front. You know, the way they do it is they walk in two players from the visiting team, two players from the home team usually, and then the coaches. And so I'm sitting there looking at the stage like everybody else is. And I look to my left and Jordan is sitting next to me and he's got the championship trophy on one knee and he's got the net and he's holding in his hand. That, is that an iconic picture? Like I, there is one like that. That that was a locker room shot. Gotcha. But he was kind of by himself and I had this little pad and I just kind of, and he kind of smiled like, are you kidding me? But he did it. He signed his autograph. That's cool. And it it was kind of, that's a rule you needed to break. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not an autograph guy. I don't, everybody always asks me about memorabilia. Sometimes etiquette. You can, you can disregard etiquette. In this room, you know, I've got Arnold Palmer on the wall signed to me and I've got Jack Nicholas and some golf stuff, but that's about it. I don't have much. I don't have a whole lot of other stuff. Cool. <laughs> so so that, that's pretty awesome that you're like, you know, talking to Michael Jordan, sitting there at the, air at the same time. <laughs> I would have never done that later in my, because yeah. I mean, you just, you know, there was no cheering in a press box at a football game. You know, everything is, you can't, you can't go fanboy. And I did, yeah. but I got away with it. <laughs> right. It was Jordan. What are you going to do? Yeah I, yeah. I probably would have too. That, yeah. Absolutely. So you were hired by the Blazers in 99. Um, you were doing some broad, you did broadcasting. Uh, you did some pregame, postgame TV, radio work, courtside Monday night. And then you did some play-by-play for the WNBA Portland Fire. Yeah. Let's talk about that really quick. Why do you, why do you think that the, because I don't really know much about it, but why do you think that the, the Portland Fire really didn't work out here? You know, I, I don't know. And they did draw. I mean, they, um, you know, when I went to work for the Blazers in 99, I came... I came there to be, in fact, I didn't, it wasn't the fire, it was not the job. So I came over there and the job was studio host for radio. And then they wanted me to be the editor of Rip City Magazine Mm -hmm. and write a column in it, and which I did for quite a few years. And then when I got there, that was in the fall, by the spring, they were announcing a WNBA franchise. And they said, we got to have somebody do the radio and TV, you're doing it. I said, okay. So I was doing the studio hosting as well. And then I started doing the Portland Fire simulcast on TV and radio, which isn't really done anymore by anybody. It used to be. But um, that was a blast. I mean, we were flying commercial. It was in the summer. It was tough. It was tough. But I had been working split shifts at KXL for eight years. I mean, I was doing... 
I was at work by four in the morning and then I would so work you were till used nine to it, and I'd I mean, go back yeah. in at three and work till seven and go cover a event that, at night and go send audio to CBS in New York and make 10 bucks and then come back home and get up and do it all again. And you just, that's just the way it was. Um, and so I was kind of used to that. So I had worked, I'd work blazer games, studio hosting, and then I would do WNBA games and why they didn't work. You know, they lasted three years um, and they were drawing okay, but I just think the league was at a funny point. And so it was they, a timing thing. Yeah, yeah. I think so because Portland had an ABL team and that league folded as well. Uh, not that the WNBA has folded, but the WNBA had the resources of the NBA to draw on a little bit. Um, the ABL paid a lot better. I remember that from talking to a lot of the, the ladies who played, but I, I, I loved I loved that time with the WNBA. And again, it was tough travel. It was. You know, you're flying commercial and you're in the summer, so everybody's <laughs> traveling. And, and and right around my, like, what would have been my third year, that was post 9-11, so travel changed. Oh, yeah. And it was very strange. And it was just, uh, but those memories and um, those times and those relationships I developed with those players and Coach Linda Hargrove, who was the coach then, and... Tom Newell was the was the assistant the last year, and his father Pete Newell, the legendary Pete yeah. Newell, Princeton, so I, uh, Cal, and yeah, 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 and and, yeah. and that was. I mean, I've got some good friends from there. Another guy named J.T. Prada, who was last I knew, he was a scout for Denver. He probably still is. Hmm. He was an assistant one year, um, but Linda was great. She was from Missouri, Southwest Missouri, and Jackie Styles came, won Rookie of the Year in WNBA, yeah. and she was terrific. Those that was those were really fun times. And it's crazy that it's been so long. But, um, yeah, so as soon as that team folded and they announced they weren't going to have that team, they opened the job, moved me to the Blazer job. So that was right then. Very cool. Well, excellent. Well, that's a good point to, uh, to to end this episode and to drop it off, and we'll pick it up with the uh, the Blazers in our next episode. Sounds great. Um, so we really appreciate you coming on, Mike, sharing some of your early history. That Thank was you. really awesome. Yeah, I'll be laying in bed tonight now reliving all these <laughs> stories that I've – it's like a file cabinet in your brain that doesn't get opened very often, yeah. and now it's papers flying all over the place. So thanks for that. Insomnia. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Where was that? Where did that happen? <laughs> right. All right. Well – I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And I'm Mike. Thanks. And thanks for joining in. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you have a great day. We'll see you later. Peace out. out.